Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here, we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like personal growth in motherhood and relationships, awareness of the ego versus the soul, the voice of fear versus intuition, We discuss what it looks like to step into your power and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I'm obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and their babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is about women taking radical responsibility for their life, shedding victimhood for good. So this episode is starting off a little choppy just because I decided to split Rebecca's story into two separate podcast episodes just because it was getting long, but I also wanted to have the story of her miscarriage and how she dealt with tongue and lip ties with her children on a separate episode in case someone just wants to listen to that story, but Rebecca's first part of her story is on the previous episode and it covers the harm she received from taking birth control for 15 years, the injury she got from birth control, and how, man, she was a woman on the conveyor belt of the medical system in which She had the cascade of interventions, which was Pitocin, epidural, an unnecessary C-section with her first daughter, her first birth, which then really armed her and made her really research and learn the truth of birth and the truth of the medical system so that she then free birthed her son at home. And her story is, is pretty wild. I really encourage you to tune into that, but this episode is a little bit shorter and covering um, her lip tie journey and then her miscarriage at home. Thank you. Well, I, it seems like I over talk because I just keep going. <laughs> I mean, there's a, lo- there's a lot to everyone's story. It's really hard to make it concise because yeah. there's so many little details that lead you to where you are and the choices that you make. Yeah, yeah. So something interesting after I had Ben was having a doula. She has seen lots of babies be born over her many, many years as a doula. And so when she held Ben, I had come into some knowledge about ties, oral ties at this point. And I knew that she was familiar. And so I asked her, you know, she was sitting there with him in the chair And she was looking at him and she goes, he has a lip tie and a tongue tie. And I was like, interesting. So he latched fine, you know, he and everything. It wasn't an issue after he was born, but I became aware of oral ties. And at this point, I was now going to what I call a crunchy doctor. (laughs) I was going to, I think he's technically like functional medicine or whatever, but he's like a family, family doctor and he sees brand new babies, home birth babies, 
non-home birth babies, adults, whatever. And when I, I took him there, because I had an unassisted home birth, there's also a lot of red tape you have to walk through in that case that I don't know that we want to get into, but legal stuff that you have to document. And so I took him when he was two days old and my doctor said, yep, lip and tongue. And what I want you to do is give him a shot with uh, craniospatial therapy. And it's essentially where, because a lot of times today they just want to cut ties, they laser them or they clip them. And I have had some friends that had that experience after I had Brooke. So it was kind of in between children that I learned this, which by the way, Brooke had a tongue tie and I didn't know it. And she breastfed until she was two years old and it wasn't an issue for breastfeeding. And it's not severe or anything like that. Um, So they're not, you know, revising it now, but she gets chiropractic care. (laughs) So I I was familiar enough with it to know, like, I'm not going to clip my baby without doing something else first. And so what I learned was when babies are in the womb, they're scrunched up in there, you know, and they're kind of bent over. My mom likes to say they're folded in half, <laughs> not technically folded in half, but they're tight. It's, it's a tight space. And when they come out, they don't just naturally get straight spines immediately. You know, it's just like if you lay a baby down, they curl up. And sometimes they'll even curl into a C shape. And when they curl into this C shape, it is an indicator that their nervous system and their muscles are tight. And what craniospatial therapy does is it loosens those muscles. And so chiropractors are trained in this, but there are also myofascial specialists and other people that do this kind of work on newborns. And they basically massage certain points, pressure points on their neck and their back and their shoulders. And it helps to loosen, helps the baby to then loosen their muscles. And so I'm like, I will do this. And my doctor didn't say like, do this for two days and then we'll clip them. He said, we'll check in in six months unless you have on the ties, unless you have issues breastfeeding. So he was nursing fine. He was gaining weight good. He's a little chunker. (laughs) And I didn't have any pain. So that was really a cool thing. But I also think it helped that I had nursed my daughter for, like I said, until she was the month before she turned two. I only had a break from breastfeeding for three months before I had him. So my body kind of knew what to do. It was pretty used to that. And toddler nursing with teeth is a whole other story. So (laughs) Used, used to the anything, I guess you could say. So after, I want to say it was like six weeks, his lip loosened. And that was really cool to see like, this is working for him. He's relaxing. And then when he was about two and a half, three months, his tongue tie split all on its own. So he had a posterior tongue tie, which is where the frenulum is more towards the tip of the tongue. Like you could literally see it tight to the, to the front. And one day my husband happened to notice it. He like said, look, his, his uh, frenulum split. And sure enough, I, we licked his tongue and it just split all on its own. So he did not have to have any revisions. He revised himself <laughs> through some tender love and care. 
And I think that that's a beautiful thing. I do know that that's not always the case with everybody, but I do want people to know that that's an option because a lot of times we don't know that there are options. And I didn't even know about tongue ties. Like I said, when I had my first, that was news to me. Um, so that was a just a cool learning experience for sure. Well, yeah, because we can also become herd people doing 100% compliance with things like tongue ties. Just because there's a tongue tie doesn't mean you need to 100% comply and go get it lasered. Mm-hmm. You can critically think and yeah. ask questions and tune yeah. in to feel if this feels right for you. Yeah. And and I think our our programming in childhood with compliance, we can apply it to holistic measures. And you really have to check yourself. So I, I really try to question myself with everything. And sometimes I re-listen to some of my podcasts. I'm like, I, I question the things I've I've said on the podcast. I was like, ooh, I'm a hypocrite when I said that. Oh, hmm. <laughs> and I'm constantly checking myself. We all are. We all <laughs> are. I mean, are. how different are you as a person now than a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? I mean, I don't even think that I'm the same person. I, if I were to put myself side by side with my like 18-year-old self, not even the same person. Oh, no comparison. <laughs> you know? So Okay, so you reverse these ties with body work, no lasering. Yes. yes. And then you get pregnant very yes. soon. So uh, a couple episodes back, <laughs> we talked about birth control and how I was controlling my ability to get pregnant. At least I thought I was right? For however many years. And then I learned about FAM. And there was just something that was so beautiful about my birth with Ben that literally right after it happened, I'm like, I want to do that again. Like, (laughs) that was amazing. That was such a beautiful experience that I definitely want to have more kids. Like, I want to do this again. And my husband felt the same way. And we both kind of had this conviction that we're like, who are we to try to control our children and how many children we have? And it was especially, you know, coming out of a time where I, my sister went through secondary infertility. I know it's a journey that you've been down with, you know, fertility type related things. And I have so many people in my life that have similar stories that I just felt like, it felt almost selfish to me to say, I know, you know, I've, I've gotten pregnant and I'm going to purposely not do this rather than say, Lord, if this is your will, let's let it be that. And so it was kind of a mentality shift that it was more, you know, if the Lord has a baby that's going to be coming down, then let's let that baby come. So we were not doing anything to avoid. I wasn't tracking. I was breastfeeding full time. And I just got pregnant. (laughs) So I was like four months postpartum. My husband and I actually did 75 hard when I was postpartum with Ben. And I was, I want to say we started it when I was six weeks postpartum or eight weeks, something like that. And so we were at the tail end of it. And that's, wa- that's drinking water. What is that? I don't fully know. 
it is drinking water. You have to drink a gallon of water a day. You have to do two 45 minute workouts. One of them has to be outside. It could be anything. It could be walking. And so we would walk together as a family for every day. And then I would, we would do something in the garage or in the house or whatever. Um, you read 15 pages, 10 pages, something like that of nonfiction. So something that's going to uh, self-improve. Uh, you take a progress picture every day and you follow a diet, not a weight loss diet, but just like follow a food plan and stick to it without cheating and no alcohol. So I'm an extreme type of person (laughs) and I like this kind of stuff. At least, I mean, I probably wouldn't do it again now that I've done it, but it just at the time seemed like a good challenge for us because we're very much the type of people that can get too comfortable and fall off of the train, so to speak, with our, you know, working out or eating right. And so it just just felt like something to do and it was cool to do it together. Uh, Funny enough, my husband failed on like day 14 because he forgot to take a progress picture. So he had to start over. (laughs) But I actually stayed in it with him for a couple days after I finished just because I felt bad for him. (laughs) And he finished out. He did. And we like went on trips during this time too and still continued to do it. But I will say at that time, I really didn't understand structured water. So I was drinking filtered water, a gallon of it, and not putting any Celtic sea salt in it or lemon or anything. And I think I really washed out a lot of my mineral stores. Thank you for touching on that because a lot of people accidentally do this. Yeah. And I think I did. First of all, a gallon is way too much water for me. I had to force myself to do it every day. That was the hardest part. It was horrible. (laughs) And I realized that like you can't put everybody on an equal plane. You know, a 250-pound man drinking a gallon of water is not the same as a mother postpartum, <laughs> woman, postpartum drinking a gallon of water. I, I You're forcing yourself into a mold, but that's the program. And, you know, it's funny because people will be like, well, you could modify it. And it's like, if you modify it, you're not doing it. And I'm a, I'm a very, like, stick-to-it type of person. So anyway, that's all on a side to say that it was something that I questioned after I had my miscarriage. So uh, at the end of 75 Heart, I started to feel very fatigued and achy. And that's a symptom that I get when I am pregnant is achy. When I was pregnant with my daughter, I had Lyme disease (laughs) because I felt so like my bones were going to like shatter apart. And I thought something was wrong with me and that my sister at that time said, take a pregnancy test. And so here we are again. I feel like my bones are going to shatter. And she's like, do you think you could be pregnant? And I'm like, anything could happen. So I take a test and there's a faint second line, but it's very faint. And I text it to my mom and my sister. My mom's like, I don't see anything. And my sister's like, I definitely see something. Take another test tomorrow. And I do. And again, I'm getting a faint line. And so I'm like, all right, well, let me wait for a couple of days. And I wait for a couple of days, maybe two days. And again, there is a faint line, but it's getting even fainter than it was before. And I just had this feeling. I was like, I am pregnant or I was pregnant, but this baby is not meant to be. 
Like this is not, um, this baby's not for this earth. And one night I was laying in bed. I think it was maybe the day after that. And I just felt this like, I don't know how to explain it. Almost like a, like a shock, like a, like a weird kind of like in my stomach, like in my uterus. And it, what it felt like was the light going out in that baby. And I don't know if that's what it was, but that's what it felt like. I felt like the life left and it was a weird feeling, but it was, it it was just, I just knew I just had an intuition about it. Right. And so I did continue. I took tests again and then it, it was like definitely getting fainter and basically gone. So um, I am very much a proponent of allow your body to do what it needs to do. I don't now like intervention during birth. So you'll be darned if I'm going to have any intervention during a miscarriage, which is a very, it's a, it's a very different time. Like you definitely, I did not want anybody looking in there, like telling me anything about, like, I I didn't, I, that was not a place I was going to, I didn't even consider it, you know, like going to a doctor. It's like, no way. And about a week later, or I guess it was that third, it was on a Thursday. Um, I had started to bleed the night before, light, kind of light bleeding. And, you know, so I'm changing my pad. So like, I know I'm experiencing miscarriage and I work full time. So I'm still working and, you know, I've got the kids and I had changed my pad and I go to use the bathroom. And for whatever reason, I had changed it the last time. And then I went to go pee. And when I looked down, there was something in my pad and I like stop for a moment and I look closer and then I pick it up what was on my pad and it was the baby and it was the tiniest teeny tiniest baby it was the size of a grain of rice but it had a little tiny nose and the little tiny body and a tiny umbilical cord and a teeny tiny placenta and for those curious, I actually did post a reel with photos because I just thought it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. So the baby was probably about six or seven weeks along. And I thought it was a miracle that I got to see the baby because if that had fallen into the toilet, I never would have noticed because it was so small. But it was almost like left there for me. Like God left that for me to see and to be able to kind of come fully full circle with this baby and say like the baby has passed funny enough mike didn't believe me that i was pregnant he just was like you're probably just tired from doing 75 hard like you're not pregnant and he didn't see the second line on the test but weirdly he told his parents i was pregnant so a part of him knew and so after after i i had this little baby in the palm of my hand and I yelled to him, like, I'm like, come here, come here. And I go, look at this. And he looks and he goes, it's the baby. And I was like, I told you I was pregnant. <laughs> and we kind of just like had this moment and he just, he took, 
it into his hand and like examined. And then I took a lot of pictures because I was just, it was just so amazing to me. Well, you got an inside look on human life that most of us will never see. Yeah, totally. And it was, it's not the same as like you see these images or 3D pictures on your phone of like what a baby looks like at six weeks, right? And I got to see what an actual baby looks like at six weeks, which interestingly, I thought it was interesting that the baby already had a small placenta forming and a cord because at that point in the science, you know, apps and stuff, they don't always have that depicted or certain things are depicted. So it was kind of cool to see, you know, just in real life, what is actually forming inside of me, you know, the little nose and the little eyes and the little ears and like starting to form. So it was, um, I thought that it was a very empowering and beautiful experience. I'm grateful that I got to meet my baby. We named it the baby, baby August. And I laid baby August to rest in my favorite plant so that no matter where we are, that baby will always be with us and not be left behind, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, that's the story of, of baby August and having a miscarriage now, you know, I did go through a little bit of grief. It was definitely very weird that to live in modern society today. And I'll explain. I was presenting a webinar that day for work at like 2 p.m. And I this happened at maybe 11 a.m. And so like imagine you miscarry your child and then two hours, three hours later, you're like, got to be on at work presenting to people. And now I could have, I'm sure been like, ah, oh, we need to cancel this. Like something's happening. But in that moment, I felt so much relief and like, I don't know what the right word is. I just, I felt peace about what had happened that I was able to push through that day. Now, it did get harder for me after that. My husband's parents were coming into town the next day and he had told them that I was pregnant and then they were about to come into town. And so I told them before they came in that I had miscarried. And then it was really weird for me because it was almost like I told them in advance so that they would know, but it almost was like it didn't even happen. You know, they avoided it. it. There was avoidance there. Yeah. It was like, and they had experienced a miscarriage too after Mike, but they never went on to have more children after that. So I literally on Saturday was out, his dad, his dad had me out there pulling weeds, you know, two days later in the yard. And it felt, I kind of started to have a little bit of an emotional breakdown at that point because I felt like I was pushing it down too much and I shouldn't that I needed to grieve and I wasn't allowing myself to. So then I gave myself some space to do that and, you know, was able to kind of move forward from there. So then when you get pregnant this next time, Mm -hmm. did anxiety follow you into this pregnancy or how was that emotional landscape? Because a pregnancy after a miscarriage can be quite rough mentally with fear, worries. Mm -hmm. So a couple months later, I got pregnant again. Uh, Because again, we weren't preventing anything. 
And I ovulated and I knew I ovulated because of fam. And it wasn't that I was checking, but it was very obvious. And I think some of it was because of the fact that I lost this baby. And when you lose a baby, it's like a little piece of your self is gone. Like a little piece of yourself longs for that child. And so when I realized I was ovulating, I'm like, let's try again. <laughs> you know, and we did. And I didn't realize I was pregnant right away. I, I didn't think I didn't think about it again. It was like I ovulated, that happened, sowed the seed and move on. And then I started to feel some symptoms. And again, it's always my sister, man. She's always the one that's like, you need to take a pregnancy test. <laughs> and so I did. And now I know that some people don't even take pregnancy tests. And that was like the one thing that I'm kind of like, uh, I'll take a pregnancy test. It's okay. And I took a test and it was a dye stealer. So not only was I pregnant, it was like, you're super pregnant. And it was kind of crazy because, you know, the last experience was faint line, like barely anything. And this time it was like, boom, the pregnant line is darker than the cover line, you know? And every test I took was like that. So I'm like, oh my God, is it twins? What if it's twins? Then I was freaking out that it might be twins. So I didn't have a lot of, I knew I was pregnant. I definitely in the beginning at first was nervous about the baby staying with us because of having a miscarriage. But I tried not to focus on that too much. But I did sit on, it's weird because I like sat on telling people more people longer, but some people I told sooner because, you know, when you get pregnant and then you miscarry, you haven't even sometimes had a chance to tell people and it can be kind of a lonely place for a lot of people. So when I first found out I was pregnant that time, I did tell my close circle of friends, you know, just in case, like they're there for support type of thing. But then the rest of the people was like, they're going to find out way later. <laughs> um, but then the focus became like, now what? What am I going to do this time? Because I can't go to a midwife in town. They're tied to the system. I know I can do this on my own. Like, what are they? What do you do at these prenatal appointments anyway? You, you know, talk for an hour. <laughs> you get tested for rogam sensitivity you <laughs> you get your blood pressure checked maybe they listen to the baby like there's not a lot to it outside of the medical system anyway if you're doing it with a midwife so I was like I'm gonna be my own midwife now one thing I did elect to do was to get an ultrasound to confirm that my dating was correct so I went to a like an elective ultrasound place you know those places that they'll like do 3D scans and stuff um, for people that want to do that. And my dating was correct. And then I felt like a clown. I was like, I shouldn't have even gone here because this was a waste. <laughs> like, I should have just trusted myself, but whatever. But wasn't it for your work? Well, that too, yes. I do need to have some sort of record of care. So I have had to go to some types of appointments um, because I work in corporate America. And when you work in corporate America, you're tied to the medical system. 
Isn't that interesting? Yeah. <laughs> I like that you, you bring this up. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you are. So if I was a stay-at-home mom, like homesteading, this wouldn't be a problem. But, you know, like I said, I work in corporate America. Like I have an HR department I have to submit paperwork to. <laughs> Wow. So it's a weird, it's like a weird place to be in, right? To be like this free birthing, you know, uh, wild pregnancy person in the world. In the corporate world. And in the corporate (laughs) world in modern society. Yeah. They all think I'm crazy, but that's okay. I like that. It's a good crazy. Yeah. I like that you don't fit in a perfect box, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's only one way to change this system, and it's to be the one to change it, right? I kind of laughed because on my team, um, another girl, um, another woman on my team is pregnant, and she's having home birth. And we had a little virtual, because while my team is remote, so we had a virtual baby shower for her. And I was super excited to get to create the games for this because the game I wanted to do was like baby trivia. And I asked fun questions like what percentage of women give birth in a hospital and what percentage of women give birth at home. And for my other teammates to see that only 1.26% of women give birth at home and two women out of six on our team or five on our team our home birthers was like, we are beating the statistic right now. Like we are crushing it. That's so awesome. <laughs> now, some of the ladies are already done having kids. And, you know, that has been something too that's brought up some such cool conversations was some of the women had C-sections. And like me going through the experience was an opportunity for them to open up and kind of to talk about their trauma. And to kind of unpack some of what they had gone through. And even for one of the women to learn, she was like, I didn't even know having a VBAC was an option. Wow. You know, and so it's, it really has been cool to open up a conversation in a space that can sometimes not be a point of conversation. You know, usually it's, let's talk about our horrible stories, but like not talk about why they're horrible, you know, not talk about the why behind this. Like you said, that kind of uh, Stockholm syndrome in a way where we just bond with that doctor or that system that broke us. And instead of breaking out of it, we run to it. So it's been a cool thing to to talk about. And now I'm like the crunchy guru, which I'd never expected that I'll get on a meeting and they'll be like, oh, Rebecca's here. Hey, what do I use for eczema? Oh my gosh, they ask you the questions? I'm like a medical, I'm like their medical advisor now. Wow. And I'm like, guys, I'm, I I can't give you this advice fully, but here's what I would do. <laughs> Take some dandelion root. <laughs> uh, the, the other thing you mentioned is that with Ben's pregnancy, you were very fearless in that you're like, I'm kind of going to prove everyone that I can do this, F all yeah. them. And yeah. this and this pregnancy, it's a little different. Like, are you just more neutral because you proved it with Ben's birth? Like, where are you at? It's been a little rockier in that sense because you're right. With Ben, I had to 
adopt that attitude of like, this is what we're doing and that's it. And I had to like have so much confidence. But this time, I'm not proving anything because I already did. Like I already did it, right? So now I think it's left the door open for a lot more fear in myself, like a lot more questioning myself. And I don't know how to explain it, but it's just, it's like I want to have the same experience again. But then I'm like, well, what if I don't have the same experience? What if it's tougher? What if it's longer? And constantly reminding myself that every birth is different and not to have expectations can be a very hard thing. And this goes back to the subconscious and your mind is like, we can tell ourselves that we're going to have a great experience. And then if it doesn't turn out that way, then we're disappointed. And, you know, I don't want to be in that cycle. So I've been having a hard time trying to coach myself. I also recently attended my sister's VBAC. She had a VBAC two. So she had two C-sections for breech babies. And after my experience was encouraged to pursue natural birth herself. Now she chose a birthing center was more comfortable for her than at home. But it was honestly, being there and in the environment was very similar. Um, Her home would have been tough for her to have a baby in with all the people that were there and her kids and stuff. She has boys that are older and they haven't really been programmed the same way that I'm programming Brooke. And I say I'm programming Brooke because I'm the one doing the programming and I'm not letting the media or TV do it. I read her books that are about having a baby at home. Like she tells people, my mommy has a baby in her uterus. And people are like, that's weird. Is that what we're saying now? What happened to belly? And I'm like, I taught her to say that, you know, and she knows what a placenta is. And she knows what a cord is. And she's three. And she knows that the baby's going to come out of my body. And she watches birth videos And she doesn't flinch and she doesn't go, ew, because she hasn't been programmed to think that it's gross. Exactly. It's normal. Um, She actually watched the video of my sister's baby being born and my sister made a face at me like, because she was watching it. My sister was holding my phone, watching the video and Brooke came over and she looks at me like, she's going to watch this. And I go, good. Like, let her. (laughs) there's nothing wrong with it this is normal (laughs) so it just was a different scenario right so she had a uh home uh whatever it's called what did i just say birth center birth center (laughs) birth center birth and but her first vaginal birth because she had two c-sections so that's a huge deal it was huge it was her first labor and she did great She did amazing, but it was my first time really in person watching a physiological birth. And I was such a nerd. Like I was like a midwife in training, right? Or something that I'm like down there looking. (laughs) I'm also recording because she wanted me to document. And then I kept thinking the baby was about to be born. So I keep recording. I have like 500 video clips of her in every position with my camera like this close to her. And uh, just every little thing that would come out, I was like very interested and very intrigued and learning. And 
like when her sack broke, she, her water didn't really like break, break it. She ended up having her waters were slow leaking when she was in the pool. And so she never had like a break that she felt at least, but I'm watching her. And so I see like a piece of something coming out. And so I'm just observing, observing and everything, waiting for things to go. And I'm like, oh, that's a piece of the sack. That's cool. And so just these like little things that I was nerding out about. And it was taking quite a while for the baby. And like we could see the baby's head, but, you know, baby is like taking a long time. And I knew it was because of positioning, but I didn't know what position, right? Because I'm not an expert in this stuff. And I'm not going to raise any red flags or say anything out loud. So when I had a moment, I kind of turned to the midwife and I said, is it the baby's head positioning? And she said, yeah, he's asynclitic. And I had like a flashback to my first whose head was asynclitic and she was posterior. And it was kind of like I got to see what my birth would have been like without the interventions. Like she had my baby naturally that I unnecessarily cut out, right? Like same thing. And guess what? The babies come out. (laughs) They find their way. They find their way. It just takes a little longer. It takes them a little longer to get over that pubic bone. And so I think that after that experience, I did kind of get a little nervous and I'm like, oh man, well, what if my baby, this baby is posterior and it's not as easy as Ben's was. And you and I talked about this a little bit because there are certain things that we can do to try to support having a baby's positioning being ideal. I did a lot of research after Brooke because I was like, I don't want to go through this again. And just kind of the way that we are in our society that where we're sitting all the time, and especially if we're reclining, like leaning back is very bad for your posture and kind of just not ideal for baby to be in there in a comfortable way. So I have practiced some of these things, but you know, you and I talked about something that was kind of like a mind explosion for me, which is, is it a control thing? Like it's another place where we're trying to control the situation. We're trying to control the outcome. But at the end of the day. And trying to control the baby. Trying to control the baby. At the end of the day, I can do all the things. And the baby's going to be in whatever position the baby's going to be in. And we have to accept that. And funny, funniest part about all this with my sister is her first two were breach, right? She was trying to avoid breach. So she went to the chiropractor every week and she was, you know, doing spinning babies and all this stuff. And then her baby was not breech. He was head down, but he had an asynclitic head. And so it took him three hours to come out. And so after she goes, I kind of wish he would have been breech. It would have been easier. (laughs) So it's just so funny that we can try so hard to control the outcome, but in the end, like... It's going to be what it's going to be. Yeah, and it always does go back to trust because we're trying to manipulate the baby's positioning for our ease. But if we're trying to control the baby's position, are we distrusting our baby? Are we distrusting their intelligence, even though they just grew themselves in their womb? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like... I don't know. We're distrusting a lot. Or really what it is, is we're creating expectations that 
can greatly disappoint us if we focus too much on them. That's yeah, what I think. And my my belief on supplements has has changed a lot. I think there's a time and a place for some, but mm-hmm. um just throwing the whole kitchen sink at your body, you can potentially be creating new symptoms. And mm. if you try to manipulate the body with supplements, you could create a new symptom because the body is trying to compensate for what you are ingesting. And I think mm-hmm. that can be true with spinning babies. You mm. think you are you are doing the right thing and you think you are controlling your baby's position, but what if you are manipulating the body and there's a natural consequence to it and then mm-hmm. the baby's asynclitic? Mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. it's just like the mind gets stuck on a story of, I'm taking this supplement and my body is going to do this with the supplement. Mm. There's no way you know that. Mm-hmm. There's no proof that you know when you take this specific supplement, your body's reacting in this specific way. You have a mind story saying that it's doing that. Mm-hmm. And same with birth. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent point. There are some women in my free birth communities that have a saying, babies don't need to be spun. <laughs> you know, babies are going to move into the position that is right for them to be born. And breach is not an emergency. I mean, anybody who follows Dr. Stu will know he's the guy in the home birth community that basically teaches coaches, whatever you want to call it, home birth midwives on delivering breech babies. Breach without borders is a whole whole thing because breach is just a variation of normal. But we've been taught that breach is an emergency because hospitals don't want to deal with it. They don't want to have to learn. They don't even know anything about regular physiological birth, let alone have to learn another variation. It's just cut them out. You know, it's the easiest thing to do. So it's a whole interesting conversation about positioning. And it's something that I've had to, I think your mind clings on to things when you're pregnant, right? Like at the beginning, you're worried about if the baby is going to make it. And then you're worried about like, you know, you're sick if you have morning sickness. And then you're worried about the next thing. Like you're always finding something to worry about. And that's why mental training and mental focus is so important because we will consume ourselves with fear. We will consume ourselves with what if XYZ happens? What if this goes wrong? What if that? Instead of focusing on the positive or the things that are within our control, like clean up your house. (laughs) Keep it clean. (laughs) And and just understanding that the mind will always find something to worry about. That's literally Mm -hmm. its job. Its job is to find things in your life to worry about to keep you safe. That's why we have the ego mind is to keep us alive and for survival. It is our survival tactic, but Mm -hmm. we just have to learn that it will always give us a worry or a fear and that we have the power to not act on it. That is where our free will is, Mm -hmm. is that it will always show you fears and worries and you get the power and the control and the choice to act in trust, not in fear, with your mind's worries. So for me, that's the conscious practice in life, in pregnancy, in birth. It's my mind is always going to tell me what could be potentially be scary, that what it could go wrong, all the worst case scenarios. 
But where is your faith? Is your faith in your mind or is your faith in God? Is your mm-hmm. is your trust in your fearful mind and then you're going to act from that fearful mind or is your trust in God? Is your trust in your body? And that's yeah. where our power and our free will is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's exactly it is where are we putting our trust and our fear and, you know, putting our trust in this body that the Lord created. Obviously, I can birth a baby because I did it. And so focusing on that, the fact that I can do it, however it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Now I'm at the point where I'm getting so close because it's going to be in a couple of next couple of weeks that now I'm starting to think about what it looks like with my kids. And I really want Brooke to be there when the baby's born because she's old enough now. She doesn't take naps anymore. And if it happens during the day, it's like I want her to be a part of that experience because I want her to see birth as normal. I actually got her this really cool book that it's a home birth book that has like a midwife and a doula in it. And so some stuff may not apply, but it's a book that you read to kids that's about birthing at home and how it's normal and like there's blood and that's okay mommy's not hurt it's normal during birth and mom mommy is is gonna roar like a lion and she's gonna be loud and that's okay that's what she does to help get the baby down and it's just normalizing birth and so that's something that that's what I'm thinking about now at this point is like how do we you know, how do we navigate this? You know, Ben is only a year. He obviously is not going to have any idea what's going on. And he needs a little more help than, uh, you know, a three and a half year old. So just kind of figuring out what that looks like is kind of where my head is at now. Yeah, but. it's going to be really exciting to hear your third birth story. And we'll, we'll have you back, you know, whenever that yeah. is. Yeah. Once you it, have time to process. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we'll see you know, what that experience is like, but I'm uh, excited. I'm looking forward to it.